just to give you a bit of background for where uh, I've been in the last uh, few weeks, uh, my wife, uh, my kids and I, we've been in Singapore um, visiting family out there. Um, some of you might have heard that uh, Enching's dad was diagnosed with cancer, liver cancer, about a year and a bit ago. Uh, he'd been battling um, liver sclerosis, which is uh, a, a, a reduced function also of the liver uh, prior to that. And the last year he's been battling that um, in Singapore, going to Taiwan for, for specialist treatment. And uh, ultimately, earlier this year, around uh, April, June time, uh, as a family, we decided that the treatment in, they were going to Taiwan for reached its end conclusion. It couldn't, we couldn't take it any further without the risk of him basically staying in, in, uh, in Taiwan and not being able to go home back to Singapore. So uh, I'm, I'm sure you've been aware, and many of you have been supporting us uh, in prayer and, and just keeping updated. Uh, Enching's been going back for the last year or so, uh, different occasions to be with her family to help support uh, her mum, uh, my mother-in-law. And, and my father-in-law. And ultimately, when we left about two and a half weeks, the three weeks ago, um, we spent about a week and a half with him um, in, in, in hospital where he was receiving some, um, some treatment before he uh, settled into a hospice care home, which basically just manages the care until he passes away. Uh, and in the last week we were there, uh, on the 1st of August, he, he went to be with the Lord. Um, we're so thankful that as a family we were uh, in Singapore at the time with the kids, so they were able to send their love and express their love to, to granddad and him do the same thing back to, to us. Uh, and at the same time, uh, Inching and mum and uh, her brother and my brother-in-law were also there to be able to be at his side when he went to be with the Lord. So we're so thankful for God's timing. We're so thankful for the opportunity to um, be there to support the greater family in Singapore. And we just want to express our thanks to you as well, because many of you, I know, have been uh, keeping us in prayer. Um, the church itself has been allowing Enching to, to be off and on in the last year as well, even though her role here is, uh, and the work um, has continued. And um, we just will really feel so thankful for his life. Uh, and I wish I brought a picture, actually, because, you know, a picture paints a thousand words. Um, but he, he, was, he, had, he led a glorious life serving the Lord for 14 years in, in London as a pastor and 20 years in Singapore leading a, a great church out there. Um, and part of my sermon today is, is going to be sharing a little bit about what I've learned from his life. Because I don't know about you, but um, when death comes and when life ceases on this earth, questions, you get questions, don't you? You get questions like, what happens afterwards? That's kind of the big question. And then you start thinking, not maybe beyond this life, but you start thinking back on your life. You start reflecting. What was this life all about? What did I live for? What really mattered at the end of the days? So granddad, he lived until 70 years. Um, some of us, um, you know, I don't know what the average life expectancy in the UK is, but it's probably, you know, a bit higher than that. Um, but, you know, all these questions come about, don't they? Uh, maybe if you're, you know, a, a five- or six-year-old like my kids, um, you don't normally think about that. Uh, but as you progress in life, I think sometimes we, we have to ask those questions because they define what we will choose to do in the life and the days that we have on earth. So I'm going to be sharing from, from John 6 uh, this morning, which is Jesus, the bread of life. And in doing so, in sharing some of the passages, I'm going to be reflecting a little bit on what I learned from my father-in-law and how his life lived out some of the things that Jesus was teaching. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to go to John 6. It's quite a big passage. I'm not going to be going through verse by verse uh, because there are 70 verses and that would take a while. I'm going to be picking a few key themes and the, the narrative and taking the narrative and picking out the big ideas and drawing some, um, some things which we can consider uh, in our life here in St. Albans or in Greater Hertfordshire and what it means for us today in the 21st century. Can I just pray before we start uh, and just commit this time to the Lord as we learn from his word? So, Father, thank you that you truly are the bread of life, that all who come to you uh, shall never hunger or thirst. That's what it says in your word. And today I pray as we hear your words that we would be satisfied and be filled. Fill us, Lord, we pray. Give us ears to hear, hearts to believe, and a joy that would leave from this place, knowing that we know, have known you and been in your presence today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So I'm going to start reading from, from verse 1. 
Um, verse 1, it's, again, this passage in John, John's amazing because John doesn't write like all the other authors of the Gospels. There are four Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, and John is known as uh, the disciple that Jesus loved. He has a specific in intimacy with Jesus when he was on this earth. And John writes uh, in, a, in a way that his style is this. He, he writes um, narratives. He writes kind of these stories and intertwines them together to bring about a bigger picture of who Jesus is. So if you read just a small part of John 6, you'll get a, an idea of what happened. But if you carry on and read through several parts of the rest of the chapter, what you do is you get to a conclusion of who Jesus is. So in reading this passage, we're going to be reading about the feeding of the 5,000. Many of us know the story. It's a story where uh, Jesus is teaching on a hillside, and, and many of the other Gospels talk about him teaching on a hillside, and a large crowd gathers. About 5,000 people gather. That's men. So probably there were in excess of 5,000 people with women and children and others included. And they're hungry, and Jesus miraculously feeds the crowd by using a little boy's lunch. And I love, you know, the kids in our church, they love hearing these stories, and the, and the big ideas are that God provides from what we have. He takes the little that we give him and multiplies it for his kingdom. Um, but John has a bigger picture, a bigger thing that he wants to speak to the people about uh, and speak to us about than just that independent miracle. The second narrative that comes in this passage is Jesus walking on the water. Again, many of us heard this narrative, I think, from reading other Gospels, where Jesus, his disciples cross over the Sea of Galilee. And the Sea of Galilee is a mass of water which is about seven miles deep and about 20 miles uh, the other direction. So, you know, it's, it's, I don't know what the technical term is, the orthogonal direction whatever that is. So it's, it's not a small lake. It's not like the lake in St. Albans in, in Veriland Park. You know, it's not these guys on a little rowing boat. It's a big mass of water subjected to storms, subjected to wild weather and wind. And what we find in this narrative is that Jesus is on a, is, stays where he is on the hillside. His disciples are sent across to the town of Capernaum on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. They're experienced fishermen, but they find themselves caught in a storm, and the storm is raging. And what they see is that Jesus walks on the water, enters their boat, and brings them to the other side safely. Okay? So that's the second narrative in John 6. And then the third part of the narrative in this, in this passage is where Jesus has crossed over, and the crowds who were fed the previous day are looking for Jesus. They're looking for the person who had miraculously turned a small portion of food into a, a wealth, a banquet for them to be totally filled and satisfied. And the narrative goes, and Jesus talks to them about what it means to go beyond just feeding their stomachs, and how Jesus now is talking about how he himself will become the bread of life that will give life to them, not just in this life, but in the life to come. So that's the kind of overarching um, brief, you could say, of this passage in John 6. But I just want to slow down and just think about each of those particular narratives this morning and lead us to the end conclusion of what Jesus is trying to say, who he is to his people. So if we could turn just to John 6, uh, verse 1 and 2, let's start there. And if you've got a Bible, it'd be fantastic if you can look as well. Um, but there's a few things I want to bring about, which hopefully we as a church can, can learn about the narrative. So we look at the feeding of 5,000 first. Um, yes, it was a miracle. If I was to come up here with one Boros roll, and say, I'm going to feed all of you with it, you'd probably go, no, I prefer Clyde's method of, uh, <laughs> of jumping out and, jumping and, you know, and sorting it all out beforehand so we have a mass feast afterwards. Uh, if you don't know what a Borofrost roll is, it's basically a glorified hot dog, um, which everyone seems to love. Um, <laughs> so a glorified South African hot dog. Uh, but if I was to come to you, and, and bring a Borovros roll, which is basically bread, amazing sausage, with curry sauce on it, and say, I'm going to feed all of you in here. And there's maybe, I don't know, 120 of us here, I'm guessing. We already know that for me to do that would be a miracle. And Jesus is, uh, in this particular passage in John, um, Jesus, it, the narrative is very simple. Jesus says, these people have a need. He asks his disciples to come and feed 
5,000 people. And the response of Philip in this passage is, Jesus, we can't do it. I don't have that much money. If I had the money, I don't know where to buy that amount of bread from. We don't have the money. We don't have the resources. And everybody in here, I know who's kind of, you know, the accountant or the, uh, the kind of the, I don't know, the organized spreadsheet person here is probably there doing the numbers. 5,000 divided this, this, this. And this is what Philip does. He counts it and he says, it will cost you 20,000 denarius, eight months wages, just to be able to feed this many people. We don't have that kind of cash. They probably go and talk to Judas. And Judas is probably like, yeah, we don't have the cash. Um, Sorry, some of you know that Jesus was putting his hand in the, in the pockets of, of the fund. Yeah. Um, so this passage, Jesus is here in this passage. People are being drawn to Jesus um, because they have a need. And in this passage, what we find is that Jesus meets a need that they, I don't think they expected that he was going to meet. He was going to feed them. He takes a little boy's lunch. Jesus says, watch this. He multiplies it. He uses disciples to distribute the food. And what do we find at the end? There are 12 baskets full of bread and fish left, which they receive and they bring back. And that's where John leaves the narrative. Let me just draw a few things from, from this passage and this narrative. Firstly, Jesus is concerned about the physical needs of people. It says in the beginning of this passage that Jesus was going around healing the sick. He met physical needs that were apparent on this earth. The only, only other miracle that Jesus performed prior to this, I believe, is, is he made water into wine. So people are being drawn because he heals the six and makes alcohol. Um, that's not a bad guy to hang out with, isn't it? You know, the guy you want to hang out with is the guy who can satisfy a craving and uh, potentially also keep you alive. Um, no, this is Jesus' ministry. He's meeting physical, earthly needs. But... One of the things that Jesus and John wants to bring to us is that it always goes beyond just the physical needs. It's a starting place. It's a place where Jesus starts his ministry by healing the sick, feeding the 5,000, doing miraculous things in the physical realm. Jesus can meet your physical needs. There's no question. He is the God of the universe. Matter, bread, wheat, all these things are physical things that he created. There is nothing outside of his ability which he can take, multiply, resources, money, buildings, everything. Everything is in his hands. We don't have to worry. But what we have to do is use what he has given us and use that for his purposes. Um, I'm so often struck by this um, thought about ministry. Sometimes we get this um, feeling that what we're really interested in is simply just getting people to believe in Jesus. And we try and jump this step, which we have to sometimes take. We say, okay, this person needs Jesus. I've got to go preach the gospel, preach the gospel, preach the gospel to them. I've got to show them all this stuff. But actually, sometimes what we need to do as a people is to meet the physical needs of the people that we have been drawn to and the people that God has placed in our lives. I think God calls that compassion. Just a thought, how many of us here um, know of the needs, physical needs of people around us? Some of us here, I think we know there are people around us who have physical suffering. Uh, some people who have emotional suffering, broken relationships. Some of us here know um, families who, who have broken, broken families, and there's a physical thing that can be done. And I think sometimes where Jesus calls us by compassion to reach out in the physical realm, in the physical things that we can do, I'm not sure what that looks like for you, um, in your daily lives, maybe it's the people at work you work with, maybe it's your children, your immediate children, maybe it's your friends at school, but each one of them has physical needs that we as a people with compassion and love can go and meet as Jesus leads us. Not because that is the end goal, but because that is a starting point for God's ministry sometimes in our lives and in the church. I'm always drawn by what Derek shares about CAP. Derek and Cheryl are involved in Christian Against Poverty, and that's a ministry which, uh, that meets people in their physical need, in their debt, in their financial issues, and uses the skills and the tools that they have to help them get out of that debt and lead them towards that freedom. But the ministry never stops there. It's never about just getting them out of debt and suddenly it's like, okay, thanks, we've done our job, move on. It's always about an intentional desire to want to go the next step, which is to bring people to Jesus ultimately. And that's where Jesus is wanting to use 
the miracle of the 5,000 feeding to teach people that it goes beyond just physical needs that need to be met. They need something more, which only Jesus can satisfy. So I just want to remind us of this verse from 1 John, which again, the, the, uh, the Gospel of John was written by John, and he's written a few other books in the Bible. And it says this in 1 John 3. This is how we know love, that Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone in this world has goods or sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So John is encouraging us here that the physical needs matter. What we do as a people in this church, in our ministries, it matters. Practicing for worship to lead us this morning matters. Um, Serving the kids, preparing lessons them matters. Serving coffee and working with people in this, this, what we do now on a Sunday matters. You going to work, befriending people, um, sharing your homes with them, inviting people in, that matters because it's meeting people's needs. And Jesus uses this word in John to describe all of those things I'm talking about. He calls them signs, S-I-G-N, signs. And many of you know, know what a sign is. Right? A sign points you in a direction. Uh, I don't, don't think we have them here so much, but have you ever seen those people with kind of those sandwich boards? You know, they might be saying pizza this way or 50% off that way. And they have this kind of placard, in, and, and people can see them from the front and behind. And they're normally, you know, standing there bored out of their minds because that's what they've been paid to do. But the purpose isn't about looking at the person with the sign. The purpose of them standing there on the street corner, whatever it is, is to point you towards the pizza. Okay? So if you, I want to lay this thought in your minds. Whatever you are doing in the physical realms, whatever you're doing, serving people, loving people, your life is supposed to be a sign to point people towards something. I want you just to think about that a little bit. How is your life at the moment a sign what are people seeing when they look at your life? What do they see about your values? What do they see about how you treat people? What do they see about your openness to friendship and the way you interact with people? Because all of us are a sign, no matter what we think we're saying, we are showing something of our character, we're showing something of who God is, or who we say God is, to those around us. And Jesus calls this miracle, the feeding of 5,000, a sign that is supposed to point them to something else. Let me go on, if that's okay. Um, let's jump to verse 13 in the passage. Verse 13 is where Jesus has uh, fed the 5,000. He's now asking his disciples to gather up all the left pieces. It says in verse 13, so the disciples gathered up all that was left and filled 12 baskets with fragments of the five barley loaves left by those who were there. And when the people saw the sign there's the word, they saw the sign that had been done. They said, this indeed, the prophet who is to come into the world. And perceiving that they were about to come and take Jesus by force to make him their king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. So what we see in this passage is that the people are satisfied. Physically, their needs have been met. They are probably stuffed uh, with fish and bread. And if I was Jesus, they'll probably be the greatest fish and the greatest bread in history, just like he did the wine in the previous uh, miracles. Um, and people then are being drawn to Jesus because of their physical needs that were met. Um, it's funny, isn't it? Because what Jesus didn't do was say, yep, I can do that. It's all good. I can do it again. No problems. What he does is that he retreats. He retreats. He doesn't stay and fulfill what the people wanted him to become. They were looking for someone to continually meet their physical needs. Uh, they were looking for somebody to come and become their ruler, their king, who would rule over their enemies and be the true king of Israel that they would be looking forward to. But that's not what Jesus wanted them to, for him to be. They didn't, he didn't want to be that king. He knew that they needed something beyond just their physical, earthly needs being met. And this is who Jesus is. I just want to make it really clear that all of us in this room have a spiritual need. We have a need that goes beyond this life on this earth. 
And if you are not a Christian, if you don't know who Jesus is, I want to just take this opportunity to say that you have a need which only Jesus Christ can fulfill. He is what he calls in this passage the bread of life, the one who satisfies us and brings us to eternal life. We have a need before God that only Jesus can meet. And if you are in this place this morning and you're hearing what I'm saying and you're hearing the songs that we are singing, we are all about Jesus. We are all about making him known so that you can see him and believe that Jesus is the person who can satisfy your deepest needs and longings. He's here to take away our sin. He's here to give us new life that we can't do ourselves. And this is what Jesus is offering these people. He's offering them something greater than just bread and fish and meeting their physical needs. They think that's all that they need. They just need Jesus to be useful to them. They just need a Jesus who can rule and and be in the physical world, something who they can follow after. But Jesus wants to give them something even greater. Jesus retreats, and this is why. If we look at verse 22 and 25, um, so we're jumping over the narrative of um, the disciples in the boat. If we can jump over that and go to verse 22 in the passage, John 6, 22. Jesus um, is on the other side of the, of, the, of the lake of Galilee now. And the next day, the crowds um, that remained on the other side, they saw that uh, one boat had left and that Jesus had not entered the boat with the disciples and the disciples had gone away. Other boats from Tiberias came to the place where they had eaten the bread, and after the Lord had given thanks. Um, so when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat and went to Capernaum, seeking Jesus. When they found him, so when the crowd found Jesus on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate and filled, and you ate the fill of the loaves. And Jesus says, Do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. So the people are seeking after Jesus for their physical needs. Jesus knows this. He knows that people will be drawn to him because of his miracles. People will be drawn to him because of his ability and the blessings that he has brought upon their lives to heal them, to meet their physical needs. But Jesus wants to do more than that. He wants to go beyond just a physical realm. He wants to give them something that only God can give them. He wants to meet a need And the purpose of the feeding 5,000 was only to point them towards this greater need. And Jesus gives them, I'm not going to, there's a massive dialogue here, a narrative to to try how Jesus unpacks it for them. But the big idea is this. In verse 33, Jesus reveals himself that he is the bread of God. The bread of God is Jesus who comes from heaven and gives life to the world. Jesus declares in verse 35 that he is, Jesus is the bread of life. And whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in Jesus shall never thirst. See, Jesus didn't come just to give bread. He didn't come just to bring bread and physical realm. He came that he might be the bread. He came not just to be bread. He he didn't come just to give bread. He came to be the bread that satisfies. And for us here in this church, many of us know that. Many of us recognize that what we have found in Jesus Christ is not just something that tickles us or, ex- or just helps us feel better about ourselves. But what we have found is someone that we feed on. Somebody that we know we draw every strength and every uh, hope and every joy is wound up in him. And so often, I don't know about you, but the church can often be about just seeing Jesus as useful. We sometimes uh, see the church sometimes as, as a social, I'm not saying this is our church, but I've been in churches before where we see this church just as like a social gathering, where it's about the physical things, the friendships, and about the relationships that we build. They're not bad things. You know, finding a home where people welcome us and uh, are friendly and we get a good cup of coffee and we get a great welcome is not a bad thing. Um, Sometimes we, we, are, we find Jesus, he's useful because um, he keeps our kids busy and he keeps them morally on the right track. Um, or sometimes we see Jesus being someone who we get moral ideas and, and teaching from. You know, we get good principles by which we can live by. 
But Jesus is saying, no, 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 you're missing it. You're missing the fact that I am the bread of life. I am the one whom, if you feed on me, you will find every part of life works. And every part of life is twined into the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's why in this church, we will never stop talking about Jesus. We will never stop singing about him. We will never stop encouraging each other to seek after Jesus. If you start seeking after wisdom and advice from me or from leaders or teachers here, you'll be sorely disappointed because we can only take you so far or we can only do certain things so far. What you need is the power power of the Holy Spirit, the presence of Jesus in your life to live this life for him and for your joy. So people sometimes admire Jesus as a teacher, but Jesus wants him to become not just a teacher or someone who's useful, but someone who is precious. And that's why we worship God. That's why we lift up Jesus, because he to us is precious. There is no one like him. We, I love that song which Zach sang, holy, holy, there was no one like you. Jesus, the name above every name, that is what we are about. And if you are here this morning and hearing this the first time, we want to introduce you to Jesus, because he is the one whom you need to meet this morning. Let me just reflect a little bit on my father-in-law's life and how he encompassed some of these things that I've just talked about. Um, my father-in-law uh, was born in Singapore. He uh, lived and, and married my mother-in-law in Singapore, and they um, came to London uh, under God's leading to uh, study and to um, become basically become a pastor in, in London. And he served in the Chinese church in London for 14 years in London. That's where Enching and I both got married and where we, uh, Enching grew up as, as a teenager um, in, in London, uh, her dad serving there. And his call on his life was always to be a pastor. He loved people. He, 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 if you ever met him, his, his smile alone was one where you knew that he loved you and loved people. And uh, I wish, really wish I had a photo now, but you, know, you would know a welcome when you met him. And he used that. He used that gift and that calling he had to serve the, the, the Chinese-speaking population uh, in, in London and built up 14 years of ministry here, serving as a pastor, until he was called back to Singapore um, some 20 years ago, where, again, his burden was, he was from Singapore originally, but his burden was for uh, the Chinese-speaking Tiu-Chu uh, people within Singapore. So Singapore, if, if you know anything about Chinese people, we have lots of languages, lots of different people groups. And the Tiu-Chu is uh, not a mainstream uh, language. You've got Cantonese, Mandarin, which I think most of China speaks. Um, but Tiu-Chu is a, is a certain dialect. And there's an aging population in, tu, in, in Singapore of Tiu-Chu-speaking people. And my, um, my father-in-law as well, he could speak in, in Tiu-Chu. So he was invited by a church to come and serve there as, as the senior pastor in Singapore, uh, mainly to serve the Mandarin-speaking and the Tiu-Chu people. And, and what a blessing that was, because his decision to move from London to Singapore um, f- was something that he knew he wanted because of his calling of meeting people uh, and pastoring them, especially the lost. And the opportunities that God gave him to bless the, the elderly in, in Singapore was amazing. Um, a lot of um, the younger population in Singapore, maybe they become Christians, but their grandparents or their mothers or don't speak English or Mandarin, they speak Teochew. Who is going to bring the gospel to these people? And his ministry was one of, uh, of one of the key things of his ministry was serving um, the sick, uh, the um, kind of, what's it called, the chaplaincy ministries in care homes and things like that. And the influence that he had in leading people, you know, 50, 60, 70-year-old uh, grandparents to Jesus was, was amazing. And we were able to hear during his eulogies some of the people whom he had touched and because of his obedience to use, you know, the gift of language which he had, he was able to then minister to these people, this lost generation of, of, Christ, of, of uh, people in Singapore who had no other access to someone speaking the gospel to them. And, um, you know, his, his, his choice, God led him to a ministry for the sick, the elderly, uh, uh, and those who are, you know, in those really hard places he met a physical need that was present in his society, an aging population of people who would die not hearing the word of truth or the gospel. So he was there. He was willing to lay down his life for that cause. Um, 
But he'd always tell us, he'd always tell Enching and I, whenever he'd come back from leading a chaplaincy at a, at a care home, um, he'd come back tired and when we were there on holiday and he'd you know, tell us about how, what he's been doing. But he always said, Ed, you know, I'm here not because I just want to comfort people. I need to do that. That's, my heart is to do that. My compassion is to do that. But what I need to do is to tell them the gospel. What I need to do is to lead that family towards Jesus. And that's what we will pray for. That's what we will do. We will continually serve people, meet them where they're at in their physical need. But ultimately, I'm, he's looking for he was looking for opportunities to go and tell them the gospel in their language, in a way they could understand, in a way that would be relevant and meet their spiritual need. So let me invite you to think about this then. Where has, what has God placed you in right now, in your day-to-day -day walk? What are the physical needs that you encounter uh, in day-to-day -day walk, in your day-to-day -day lives right now? Maybe it's the ministries you're already serving in. Maybe it's with the kids or with Welcome or uh, in this church in, in worship. What are the physical needs that are here in this place right now? But what are the physical needs of people around you? Are we aware of the things that we see and the needs that we see around us? Has God stirred up in your heart a sense of compassion for that thing that God has awoken in you? That's something we have to consider, doesn't it? Because sometimes, especially I know my focus can be so much about what I need, what I want, what I'm thinking about. Am I hearing the call of compassion that God has placed in my life to the people around me? And in doing so, maybe it's a neighbor, maybe it's somebody, an elderly who needs a lift, maybe it's um, simple things like that. It doesn't have to be something out in Africa or Asia. It could be some people around you. What compassion has God placed in your heart for the people around you? And are you willing to take steps to show that love and compassion and to make that the first step towards reaching out further that God may enable you to open up in the future? Jesus wants to use your life as a signpost to point others towards this bread of life. It's quite a simple thing. I use the illustration of that kind of sandwich board placard, but if I could put a bit of a spiritual twist on it, if that's okay. How many of you want to know what the will of God is for your life? How many of you have ever asked that question? What is the will of God for my life? John 6:40 answers it, and it ties in with what Jesus is saying. This is the will of my Father, this is Jesus speaking, that everyone who looks on the Son, that's Jesus, whoever, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what is the will of God in this passage? What is Jesus saying the will of God is for our lives? The will of God is this, that everyone will look, see Jesus, believe in him, receive eternal life question is, where do you fit into that now? If I may, I would say that this, that what people need to see is they need to see Jesus in you. People will look at the church. Will they see Jesus? Will they see him in our meetings? Will they see him in your daily lives at work, working out the life that God has given you in his spirit? Will your children see you working out your parenting under the fear of God? Will your friends see that compassion that comes from the love of God in you? It's not self-generated. We're not talking about, I've got to do the right thing, I've got to do the right thing. It's about the love of God piercing our hearts, satisfying us, then that flowing out to the people around us. Is that the kind of life that we are living and desiring, that people would see Jesus in us, look to him, believe in him, and receive eternal life? That is what God wants for this church, Forest Town. That is what God wants for each one of us in our families, in our friendship groups, in our families around, in the neighborhoods. Jesus wants people to see Jesus in us. How will people see Jesus? Through our words, through our actions, through the things that we will do, living out our life for him. Our lives need to be this signpost. We need to our, the placard of our lives, the signpost of our lives, this sandwich board of our lives needs to be Jesus this way. Don't look at me. Don't look at, don't be about you know, what I can do or what I'm doing. Be about who Jesus is. And so often I think even for myself, I need to think about what my life is portraying to other people. Am I holding back? <laughs> One of my biggest issues I think is holding back, not revealing enough of myself to people around us, being more introverted, 
Maybe that needs to be the thing that Jesus needs to overcome in my life so that people can see him more clearly in me. Will you be willing to be a signpost for Jesus? That means standing aside, not making necessarily sometimes a big deal of yourself, but bringing glory to God. Again, my father-in-law, his famous words, all glory to God. Whatever he achieved in his life, all glory to God. Whatever, when people said, thank you for serving us, blah, 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 you've, done, you've sacrificed so much for us as a church, all glory to God. That was the theme of his life, which I've learned so much from. He was a simple man. He didn't have complex ideas he had to work out or agendas. All glory to God was, his, was the theme of his life. What does this mean for us? First, it means that our signs don't have to be perfect. As a church, as people here, we don't need to be perfect. Our signs don't need to be beautifully painted with all the right images and all the right uh, phrases and all the gimmicks, you know. We are people who don't have to be perfect, but just point Jesus to God, people to God. What does that mean for us as a church? It doesn't mean that the music has to be perfect. It doesn't mean that we have to be overly concerned with making sure the coffee is exactly the right consistency. I don't know about you, but sometimes in churches we get so consumed with the physical realm of what we're doing that we miss out on the important task of telling people about Jesus. We can sometimes be satisfied with, 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 with gathering as a people and enjoying each other's company, having great barbecues, um, excellent barbecues rolls, everything that we do well in this church, you know, the welcome, it's all good. But if we miss out on saying, Jesus, do what you, only you can do, which is to help people believe then we've missed something, church. We need to be a people who are concerned with the next step. And that's why I want to bring this, that's why I feel that this, this word is so important for us because we can so easily settle into a rhythm of church where it's all about the busyness of ministry. But we forget that Jesus needs to be prevalent in everything that we do. Yeah, so I hope this encourages you. Jesus is the only body who can help people believe. Just a few more reflections, if that's okay, on this, on this uh, passage. Oh. <laughs> that's a picture of my, grand, of my uh, father-in-law, if you'd like to see his lovely smiling face. <laughs> um, where was I? So our role in, our, in this church is to point people to Jesus for our lives to be a signpost that says, look, Jesus is this way. Let me tell you about him. Let me explain who he is, what I know of him, what he's done in my life. What God's work is, is the work of faith. This is what we are, should be praying for in every conversation. When we wake up in the morning, God, use me as a signpost, but God, you make people believe. It says in verse 28, this is the work of God, that you believe in Jesus whom he has sent. We cannot make people believe if I get a hammer and say, believe in Jesus, that doesn't do anything. It just makes people angry. Um, what we have to do is pray for the Holy Spirit's work to convince people of the beauty and majesty of Jesus. Our love points people to Jesus. God's love makes their hearts alive. Only God can make people see that they need him. We can talk all day long, but unless we are praying for that miracle, let's call it a miracle, the miracle of salvation to happen in people's lives, um, we won't get anywhere. The will of God is to, for, us to, for people to see, for people to believe, and to receive the eternal life. So God, only God can be the one who makes Jesus come from a, being a simple bread provider to being the bread of life, who satisfies that hunger and thirst. But we can be part of that process, can't we? by pointing people towards Jesus. Just a few more reflections, if that's okay, as we kind of summarize. Um, I don't know about you, but um, over the last few weeks, um, Young Life camps have been happening in, in, in the UK, and I was talking to, to Jack and Elise today, and she's come back from, I think, five weeks of, uh, of serving uh, teens uh, up in Scotland and hearing amazing things about what's happening up there. Uh, I think she has a, a, a cup which... Um, it's about how many people that Young Life is going to reach, how many young people Young Life is going to reach across Europe. And I think the target is 49, 50,000 people, 59 teenagers throughout Europe. And that's an ambitious target. That's something that um, Young Life have seen a need. They are 
pioneering towards reaching these teenagers, telling them about Jesus. But um, in, our own, in our own context here at, at, in Forest Town Church, next weekend, next Saturday, we're taking a group of uh, 13 teenagers to Soul Survivor, which again is a, another opportunity in the summertime for teenagers to gather, hear about Jesus, and, and to grow in, in their knowledge of him. And uh, I want to ask you guys to pray for these ministries, to do the work, because people are there serving these teenagers, providing the physical needs, whether it's camping, whether it's food, whether it's talks, having fun, all those things are needed and required. But I, want, I would invite you guys, if you would join us in praying for these ministries this summer, because what we need is God to do the work of faith, to transform people's lives from unbelief to belief, taking people from darkness into light, helping them see Jesus in a clearer way. That's something that we cannot do or any ministry can do. But I would invite you just to think about that. And in the next week or so, think about Young Life. Hear about what's happening up there. Uh, we'll try and feed back as much as we can from Soul Survivor next week. Um, but what our desire is in organizing these camps is not simply just to have a good time. Hopefully we will have a good time, but we want teenagers to fall in love with Jesus. So would you join us in that? Would you join us in, in praying as a church for the teenagers' ministries that are happening this summer? That some people who come back from these camps would be a life-changing experience. They would, their attendances would be totally different because they've met Jesus. They've met the bread of life. Um, great. I've missed out a portion of this chapter, haven't I? I've missed out the bit in the middle about the storm uh, and, and the uh, narrative which John's written here. And I, I w I'm interested, wh why, why has John stuck in a narrative about uh, the waves and the wind and, and the disciples in the boat in the middle of these passages about bread. Um, I don't think it's a mistake. I think John has something specific he wants to talk to the church about, about what it means to trust him. So if we can just quickly, as we end, just turn to um, the part in the middle, which is verse 16. So John 6:16. 6, John has intentionally placed this passage in the middle of this teaching on bread, how Jesus is the, is the, uh, the bread of life, um, specifically to encourage you and I this morning. Um, it's another miracle. People don't walk on water. Uh, unless you're David Copperfield. I haven't quite figured that one out, how he did that. But... Um, <laughs> But Jesus is, is, is performing a miracle here uh, in front of his disciples, and it's specifically for the disciples. There's no other people around there. It says here, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. They got into a boat. They started uh, across the sea of Capernaum. It was now dark, so it's nighttime. Jesus had not come to them yet, and the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, so that's halfway across the Sea of Galilee, because the Sea of Galilee is around six miles, uh, six or seven miles it, it, wide, um, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat. They were frightened. But Jesus said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. And then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. This is, if you've ever read the other Gospels about this miracle, this miracle is very different to how the other Gospel writers have written them. Um, there's no mention here of the waves going calm. If you notice in this passage, there's no mention of the winds obeying the, the voice of Jesus and ceasing. Um, there's not a word about Jesus conquering the storm because that's not the point of what John is trying to bring. The point isn't about this, about the miracle. The point is... Jesus got into the boat with his disciples. Think about what the disciples have just gone through. They've just been asked to feed 5,000 people. They've just been asked to meet a physical need that they could not, they haven't got the capacity to do. If, if somebody came to you, if Ant or Helen came to you and said, you know, I think you should be leading, I don't know, think of the worst ministry that, would, that you can imagine for yourself. Um, if, if they said to you, I think God wants you to do this, and you're like, whoa, no way, you know, I can't, I can't meet, I don't know, prison ministries, I can't serve children, um, elderly, oh, no, no, I, I don't know, it's not my thing. But if Jesus asks you to serve people, his encouragement to you this morning 
is that he is in the boat with you. Dave's disciples have been serving. They've just picked up 12 loads of baskets full of bread and fish. They'd done nothing. They had just been obediently serving Jesus. Jesus had given them an impossible task. Can you imagine the pressure that they were under of the task? The inadequacy that they felt. But the moment Jesus performs a miraculous sign for them, they know that Jesus is with them in that ministry. And I think the boat, this boat illustration is to help reinforce that. When you feel in your ministry, whatever God has called you to do, whoever God has served you to be serving with or serving to, Jesus will be enough for you. I don't know if you've, if you've ever been in ministry long enough, um, you get disappointed sometimes. Things don't quite work out. Um, you get things wrong. You say the wrong thing. Sometimes you hurt people. And... And sometimes you feel like giving up because you just don't feel you have the capacity to do it. God, I can't keep doing this. Jesus' encouragement to you this morning is that he is enough for you. He is in the boat with you during these tough and difficult times. Through the storms, he is with you. The, calm might not, the storm might not calm. It doesn't mention this in this passage. The circumstances may not change, but what matters is that Jesus is with you. Are you willing to be the people for Town Church who hear the voice of God, which leads you with compassion to people? Jesus may perform miraculous things through your ministry, through your love for people, but ultimately he is with you, in the boat with you, in all the mess, in all the struggles, all the challenges. And that is where we have to be as a people. The lesson here isn't that uh, lesson of the boat is not that Jesus calms the storm. It is that Jesus walks in the water. He gets to you. Nothing get in his way. Be encouraged because Jesus is in your working. He is, the waves don't overcome you. The story is not about Jesus calming the storm. It's Jesus with you, no matter what the circumstances are. So my question to you is, are you willing to be a per- people who serve people, who have compassion? It may seem overwhelming. Maybe right now you're feeling overwhelmed because of the things that you've been asked to carry. We're here to be with you. We're here to encourage you, to uh, help you through those things. But ultimately, Jesus is with you. He's in the boat with you. Just one more reflection, if that's okay, about my my father-in-law as we end. Um, Just how God has provided for him in his life. Being a pastor, I don't think, is an easy job. <laughs> you're, the, you're, the, you're the first here. You're the last out. Um, and for 34 years of ministry in London and in Singapore, um, he's poured his life out. I think one of the things that was said at his eulogies was that he's a man who poured out his life for other people. And uh, one of the things that we just want to give thanks to God for is how people poured back into his life during the last year when he was suffering and when he was in, in need uh, because of his, uh, his sickness. Um, and Ching and I can both testify how God's perfect timing was there. Uh, the doctors that were provided to him, the financial uh, bills that were met supernaturally by people's generosity and their kindness towards him, uh, the loving people that God brought into his life to come alongside him. Um, some of his pastors were, were doctors in a previous, in a previous, uh, in a previous life, and, and they were the people who ministered to him, both from a spiritual and also a medical point of view as well. Um, God placed so many wonderful things around his life in the last year, and God honored him in an amazing way, which we, we can't cease to kind of explain and express, really, because it's just too amazing. Um, but that is what I'm talking about. In the hardest of times, the church gathers. God provides. I don't know what that looks like for you in your, in your present life right now and what it means for you as a teenager or as a child or as a grandma or a grandparent or a parent right now. God is enough and he will provide. He is your bread of life. And if we trust in him, if we hold fast to him, he will satisfy our needs and our thirsts, both in the physical realm now but also in the future. The promise for us is not just meeting our needs here, it's about eternity and bringing others with us in that journey. So as we close this morning, I want us to turn our eyes to the tables to my left and our right, where we're going to close by us responding to what Jesus offered us this morning. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will not hunger or thirst. 
Jesus' invitation to you, if you are a Christian this morning, is to come and say, Jesus, I need you again. I need you to be my center. I need you to satisfy all my needs. I believe and trust in you. And our response is to take the bread and the wine. It's actually grape juice, but take the bread and the wine as signs that point us back towards our need for Jesus. So as we close, why don't we just bow our heads and I'm going to invite you to come and take communion this morning. Communion is for believers, people who have placed their trust in Jesus and said, we need Jesus Christ. I need Jesus Christ in my life. And if uh, we do it often because we need reminding that our lives are about him. Our lives are about telling other people about this great truth. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you in your word. It says that you are the bread of life. And I pray for my friends here, all of us who have tasted that the Lord is good, that, Jesus, we come to you with thankful hearts and say once again that we trust in you and we believe in you. Satisfy, Lord God, with a fire that comes from you, a fire, Lord, to proclaim your name for our lives to be a signpost to those around us. As we take this bread and wine now as a family, would you... Lord, remind us of our need for our forgiveness of our sins. That Jesus, you were broken. You, were, you, were, you bled to take away our sins. That on the cross, it was said that it was finished. That every sin that would entangle us were, is taken away. But at the same time, you rose from the dead and you now reign victorious over sin, Satan, and death. And in you, we have life eternal. So we confess, Lord, of the things that we've done wrong this week. And we say sorry, Lord, for the things that we've done wrong. And we now come to this table and say thank you for offering your body and your blood for us. We give you thanks and ask, Lord, as we take it now, you would refresh us for the week ahead to be signposts for you, pointing to the King of kings, to the Lord of lords, to the bread of life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.